BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Uh, today, you know, we're going to get into a few different issues today. We have... We have this long-standing infrastructure, you know, kind of like lava coming down the 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 volcano in Hawaii, kind of kind of video, you know, slow but but seems to be unstoppable. Maybe unless it is stoppable, right? Um, but we we've had some pretty big developments on that front over the last uh, few days, over the last week or so. And our co-host Kate is is in the thick of that, and you know, spending time up on the hill and talking to everybody and following it very closely. So we're gonna we're gonna get into that. I think as 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 um, as you probably know, uh, the Democrats came out with this outline, three point five trillion dollar outline for the part of you know, the sort of the grand 20 different plan infrastructure mega thing that's going to, you know, the part of that that's going to go through reconciliation. And that was a, you know, fairly high number relative to the different positions people had staked out about how much spending there should be. Uh, you know, a compromise, uh, but but I think on the on the middle to high side of that so there was a lot of excitement about that and 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 probably you know more than anything just the basic sense that everyone was on board now the actual agreement came out of the budget committee which is obviously a subset of the democratic caucus in the senate uh it had mark warner Mark Warner is on the senator from Virginia is on that uh, committee, you know, is one of the Democrats on that committee. And he has sort of been like the proxy for the moderates and to a certain extent for, you know, Manchin and Cinema. The, the person who, as the part of that conversation, is going to be speaking for that group. And, and at least the idea is that he has, you know, him being there. He's kind of the representative of that wing of the caucus for that agreement. And I think the general sense was that everyone in the caucus, all 50 members are on board. Still going to have a little hemming and hawing here and blah and blah, but you know, basically that. So there was a lot of excitement about uh, that. And then as Kate has been capturing for us, you have a coalescence of something that I think many of us have assumed, assumed and hoped for, and that is this: that as as we know, you get the, you have the bipartisan mini bill with the Republicans, which is depending on 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 which day and and uh, which crystals you're holding at the moment, is either about five hundred billion dollars or a trillion dollars 
depending whatever let's say for the moment let, let's say it's 500 billion dollars so that's part of it that's gen that's mostly hard infrastructure uh you know surface transportation stuff that uh at least at least in a loosey football sense you get you know you can get some buy-in from both parties on and then kind of everything else the climate stuff the soft infrastructure that's all in um all in reconciliation and there's been this delicate dance about the relationship between the two. And we remember uh, a few weeks ago now, I don't know, it was a month ago, I lose track of time. Uh, we had that kind of little blow up where, you know, Joe Biden made a little little momentary con uh, comment about, about, you know, the two things being linked and everybody freaked out. In any case, what we've seen over the last week is Chuck Schumer saying, hey, you know, put up or shut up. Are we doing this or not? And I'm gonna I'm gonna schedule a vote because we we're not gonna dick around with this forever. And the Republicans who were involved now are like, ah, wait, 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 we're still riding. Like, what you know? What's the rush? You trying to so so Schumer has brought that to a head, and it certainly seems like it's a real question whether even the five Republicans who kind of negotiated it with the Democrats are fully on board, let alone the, the, the unicorn Republicans who are going to be the other five who would make, who would make the whole thing mean anything, getting you 60 votes. So it really seems like the Republicans are looking for a way to kind of either delay that conversation indefinitely or back away from it. So the question has been, okay, what happens then? Does that short circuit the rest of the process? Like now the moderates don't get their, you know, bipartisan thing. And so now they're not going to vote for the reconciliation bill. Then the progressives jump ship and kind of, every, you know, everything is uh, on one reading. Everything is held together by the choke point of this bipartisan mini bill. I, and that means, if that is the case, that Republicans hold a choke point over the whole process because they pull the plug on the mini bill, the mini bill goes down, the mini bill brings down the reconciliation bill. Again, the two parts of this big process. So the question has been, okay, if they pull the plug, if, if, if Republicans really do have all that initiative, have all the leverage, what happens then? And what many of us have suspected is that, well, you just pile it into the reconciliation bill. And and the thinking has to be there for that really to make sense. Again, we're all in this kind of world of secret signals about bipartisanship and what that means, that the Senate Democrats who really care about that have to say, okay, we have a bipartisan deal. We checked that box. You guys made it bipartisan by putting the sparkly dust, you know, the bipartisan sparkly dust on it. So it's bipartisan. We've got a bipartisan agreement. The fact that you guys won't vote for it now, that's that's not really relevant. It's still bipartisan. We'll just put it in the reconciliation bill and that and that kind of works. Now again, this is all like, you know, reconciliation resolutions on the head of a pin it's all kind of like theoretical and mumbo jumbo but it's a it's a it's it's something that has a lot of consequence and 
from Kate's reporting over the last couple days, it seems like they are ready to do just that. And if that is the case, ready to just say, all right, if you guys are bailing, we're just going to put it into the bill because it's still bipartisan. You know, again, whatever that means. Uh, And if that is the case, that is really key because to the extent that Republicans have a kind of choke point veto over this whole process, you're just being played for a fool. And and uh, Democrats don't seem to be willing to go down that path. So we got that. We've got uh, got a couple other things we're going to talk about. You know, Republicans were kind of feeling a little feeling a little winsome, I guess, over the weekend, and started googling their old flame uh, debt ceiling hostage. You know. <laughs> See if they're available. Are they on the market? You know, want to get back together. So they're back to doing that. Debt ceiling is back. Debt ceiling hostage taking is back. Um, And we've also got this thing that, you know, I've been talking about and a lot of, well, I've been talking about in the editor's blog, a lot of people have been chattering about, like, what is it? A lot of Republicans suddenly getting religion on on vaccination. What's that about? We're going to get on that a little. We're also going to answer your questions. Uh, But before all that, let me remind you that uh, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by sponsors. Sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Grady's Cold Brew is here to help you cut through the heat this summer. Their famous New Orleans style coffee stays fresh in your fridge, so you never have to wait in line, pay coffee shop prices, or leave your air conditioning. Concentrated and strong, Grady's tastes great however you take it. Black and bold, light and sweet, or even spiked with an adult four loco. And Grady's is just the best cold brew value around. Order a six-pack of bean bags and get 72 servings of cold brew shipped directly to your door for only $45. And shipping's free. If you're ready to give it a swirl, get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay, Kate. Co-host Kate, reporter Kate, what is up? What is up is we have a vote scheduled for today, a procedural vote to move to debate on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which seems pretty likely to fail. Um, Like you mentioned of those unicorn Republicans, we've already had a couple of them saying, you know, very ruffled, saying they will not vote for unfinished text. This leaves out the fact that it's pretty standard process in the Senate to move to proceed or to proceed to debate on something that's not done yet, but I digress. So basically, let me me just for, just for our, our listeners who aren't kind of steeped in Senate process, there are sort of two filibuster choke points as things have developed in recent years. Generally speaking, a filibuster is supposed to like, you won't vote to end the debate, i.e. end the debate on the bill and on to voting on the bill. But this is sort of a new thing where this isn't to end the debate. It's to start the debate, mm-hmm. right? So this is this is not even – it's not like you could say, hey, we can't vote on it. The, the, Schumer is in essence just saying, let's just start talking about it. Yep, let's start the exactly debate on your bill. Yeah, exactly what he's saying. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that seems like it's not going to happen. Schumer kind of gave a buffer. He said, okay, fine, if you finish by Thursday – I'll take the finished text, substitute it in as an amendment, and then go from there. If they're still not done, he said he'll bring up the the separate transportation infrastructure bills that have already passed through committee that kind of make up the core of what the bipartisan framework would be, substitute those in an amendment, and start debate on those. 
now, just as we started talking, reporters are, are tweeting that Susan Collins said that 11 Republican senators are sending Schumer a letter saying they'll be prepared to vote to start debate on infrastructure on Monday. So <laughs> we've here comes Lucy, here comes the football. So we'll see it. We'll see what Schumer responds to that. So now is is just just to kind of line this up with what you were just describing. Mm-hmm. I assume now, obviously, now there's all these things about starting debate and this and that and the other, and there's all these technicalities, but it's always important to both understand those technicalities to the extent you want to understand the technicalities. But also see the this sort of the meta jockeying here. Now, I would assume, based on what you just said, that that Schumer's response will be something to the effect of, "I'm going ahead with this vote today. Mm-hmm. If you have text and you're ready to go on Monday, you let me know on Monday." And I'll do one of these substituting it in kind right. of rigmarole things like that. Um, the key here, I think, is you know down the line through 2021, what Democrats have tried to hold to is we're not waiting on you. Mm-hmm. We are moving right ahead. Like if there's some point in which you want to jump on, you let us know on that day, and we'll see if there's room for you on the train. Is what's your read on what the response is going to be to this? Yeah, I think you're basically right. I mean, it's also the thing is like you just you don't want to be too credulous with this stuff, you know, because on the one hand, to someone who maybe hadn't absorbed the Republican tactics of the Obama era, you're like, okay, what's what's a few days? You know, what's the difference between today and Monday? Nothing. But if they are confident that they're that close to finishing, why not just open vote for debate today and say, you know, we've got finished text coming down the pike, you know, and it's the kind of thing that Democrats are so wary about, like you alluded to earlier about just being dragged along, along, along. I mean, when this happened with the Affordable Care Act, too, Republicans very much acted interested in cooperating, interested in participating. They just needed to iron out some wrinkles. And then where did that leave Democrats months later, a much smaller package that Republicans didn't vote for anyway. So, you know, I think some uh, yeah. you alluded to this earlier but i think some of the framing of this has been like republicans hold all the cards republicans hold the choke point kind of thing and that just has not been reflected in my conversations at all like the sense i've gotten has been much more schumer has learned from the past he is absolutely determined not to repeat it and you know i talked to democrats yesterday on kind of both wings of the party progressive moderates alike who were ready to put hard infrastructure into reconciliation and get moving. And, you know, some of them even acknowledged time is not on our side here. We need to keep moving. We can't wait and see if anything's ever going to come out of this. Yeah, no, that I mean, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, there's there is a metaphor that I have used in some of the things that I've written about this, which is to say that what is really what is key to understanding these dynamics is that this is fundamentally a debate, a negotiation, a trying to get to yes among Democrats. Mm-hmm. This is all within, you know, this is all among Democrats within Democrats. And, you know, they are the players at the table, Democrats. 
And Republicans are more like pieces on the board, if we use kind of like a chess metaphor or something like that. Uh, and, you know, the the Manchin, Cinema, maybe Warner, Tester types want to have Republicans do some things or to work with Republicans in such a way to get to yes. Um, and, and so to your point, they don't really have any leverage. Again, it's all a conversation among Democrats. And, and what we need to understand in all this procedural gobbledygook and delay and all this kind of stuff is that basically Republicans are trying to use delaying tactics and the sort of the opaque, weird rules of the Senate to conjure themselves from being playing pieces on the board to being players at the table. Right. And it's really, are Democrats going to allow that to happen? And it seems like the answer is no. Right. Right. I and, think and that's ag- right. And, 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 and again, to your point, if you didn't have the context, if you, if you assume that everybody is playing, you know, playing straight Wednesday to Monday, few days, kind of who cares, right? That, that doesn't, that doesn't, mean you know mean very much and and yet again clearly it means a lot to susan collins and her like herd of unicorns in the background right i'm curious i want to hear from you you know when they when when she says she has 11 members i assume that means it that i mean if 11 is true she's gotten some members who will agree to start a debate Right, exactly. But certainly won't be there to actually vote for the legislation. So again, who cares? So so as much as it seems sort of like trivial and inside baseball, within how this works, it really is important for Schumer to say, nope, I'm doing the vote. Again, get back to me Monday if you're ready with this text. Right. It actually matters, as silly as it seems. Yeah. And I do think in in some ways, I think that's why the vote today will almost certainly fail the procedural vote. But I mean, it's hard to kind of interpret this as anything but Schumer winning the long game here because he got his ultimate goal, which was pedal to the metal, show me a result or we're moving on. And, you know, by all accounts, and I do believe that there is an earnest core of like five or six Republicans who want to do this bill and who are actually invested in you know, not maybe delaying Democrats as a happy side effect, but who do want this legislation to pass. And, you know, by all accounts, they've been meeting, you know, all night, all day, trying to hammer it out, come to an agreement, which is, I mean, that's what Schumer wanted. I think Schumer's all for the bipartisan deal. Mm -hmm. He's just not going to stick around waiting for it for forever. So he's like, you know, show me the money or we're moving on with reconciliation. And so far, the caucus seems like pretty incredibly unified on that topic for someone who, for, you know, quote unquote, Big Ten party that has such different lawmakers within that same umbrella. You know, no one likes to be played for a fool. And and even the people who get played for fools a lot don't really like getting played for fools. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And, and you know, um, with my sense has been as much as it's sort of the flip side of the fact you're saying that really kind of everyone is on board, like we're not going to fuck around here. We're going to, we need to move forward. And I think the flip side of that is that the rest of the party was very down with, even if there were, you know, even if there were some things they weren't crazy about with the bipartisan mini bill, 
the progressives were like, hey, if this is what you need to get there, you know, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, Mark Warner, if this is what helps you get to yes, awesome. Let's do it. That's great. If you need to check that box, fantastic. Um, and uh so here we are. And and what you say there, you know, you have told me this, uh, a couple other, uh, one particular other uh, TPM alum reporter who, who also covers this stuff have told me the same thing, that, that you guys really think that there are half a dozen or so Republicans who actually really want to make this work. It's not, it's not just play acting for them, maybe, you know, why exactly that is, they may have different motivations. Uh, they're, you know, maybe part of the issue is that they kind of were hoping it would, it would, um, you know, sabotage the reconciliation bill. But I think th- those people have to see now that that's not happening. And, and they still seem like they still want to do it. So who knows? I mean, I think the, the, the key the key, what we really need to come back to always to understand this, is that this is really about who has the initiative, who has the leverage, who is defining the timing. Uh, and, you know, you can you can negotiate and find things to agree on and all this kind of stuff. It's that, con- it's that basic thing, though. Are we waiting on you? And if, if this is set up in such a way that we're waiting on you or relying on your good faith to stitch together our entire program, then we're fucked. Then we're really fucked. And, and uh, the people in the caucus kind of across the board uh, seem to have gotten that. And it's interesting. You know, there was – I was reading something in like Punchbowl a couple days ago uh, when, when this – question whether it all gets piled into reconciliation came up and they're like oh yeah good luck getting that good luck with that that's not going to happen and i was like you know i'm not so sure you're right i'm not so sure who you're listening to but i i i mean yes will will the sort of the problem solves problem solver caucus dudes in the house like it or will mansion like it if the you know if the price tag on the reconciliation bill is over four four trillion no but I don't think that's going to – I don't think they're going to upset the whole apple cart because of that. Yeah, and also this is something that Schumer has kind of been laying groundwork for even when the bipartisan deal was first announced. you know, And then they unveiled the $3.5 trillion top line for reconciliation. He's kind of been saying the whole time, we consider these two things linked – Together, it's four point one trillion. You know, that's kind of the overall umbrella, and he—you could tell he was clearly doing that in a way that, if bipartisan fails, four point one trillion is not this like shocker out of left field sticker price. You know, it's kind of how he's been considering the two the whole time. Um, yeah, and then on to the uh, the Republican point you made earlier with the the kind of earnest core. I mean, even history shows us that, right? Like they're you can wrangle up five or six de- Republicans, the same ones every time, but, you know, to vote to impeach Trump or to have a commission or, you know, kind of earnest, I do think civic-minded people. The problem is, as the problem has been this whole time, that getting to 10 has proved impossible, impossible on a whole range of things. So I think that's kind of why we've been wary about this bipartisan process from the beginning, because this is going to be the first 
you know, kind of the first big thing Democrats want to do that suddenly somehow gets 10 Republicans. I mean, that math is hard and there just isn't that large of a bench of kind of, you know, the Mitt Romneys, what we would consider Republicans of your, the, the more reasonable, small government, non-Trumpy types. There just aren't 10 of them in the Senate caucus. So from yeah, the beginning, you, uh, it's been kind of hard to see how this comes together. And when you consider like, you know, okay, who are those 10? I mean, I guess it's a question of whether he's 10 or 11 or something. But who are you relying on? You're relying on folks like Lindsey Graham. Yep. So that kind of tells you the story right there. And this isn't, you know, this isn't your 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 daddy's Lindsey Graham or your grandfather's <laughs> Lindsey Graham, right? And Lindsey, there's been like John nine McCain's Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. <laughs> yeah, well, and the thing is, you know, what what people don't remember is before he was John McCain's boy, he was a House manager in impeachment against Bill Clinton. He was one of the fire breathers in that, and um, he wasn't. You know, he was. <sighs> You know, he's a JAG, right? A, a, a judge, judge advocate general, you know, a military lawyer. Um, he may even still be in the reserve, but that's that's his career. And so during impeachment, that was kind of like, oh, he's a serious dude. He's, you know, military lawyer. He's 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 not some crazy. But he was one of the crazies. He was one of the people. He was one of the managers, and he was one of those guys. And and this was so. This isn't the first time we've we've seen like Lindsey Graham change his spots because it, it you know in the for people who are watching politics in the late nineties and early aughts, there was this whole thing of like, wow, he was one of those impeachment managers, but now he's in the Senate, and uh, and um, you know. He's like a straight shooter now. He's like, you know, John McCain's bestie. He's a follower. He attaches himself to people and it changes him. Um, but whatever, enough talking about Lindsey Graham. I j just noticed here um, uh, our one of our colleagues uh, um, put a flash up for us as we were recording that Nancy Pelosi has rejected uh, McCarthy's picks of Jim Jordan and Jim Banks for the Jan 6 committee. And that, so a, a couple things I want to focus in on here. So McCarthy could, could nominate, uh, you know, it's not technically nominate, but, but uh, Pelosi has a final say. So it's sort of like nominating. He can nominate five people. Three of those people he nominated were people who voted to to challenge the elector slates from Michigan and Pennsylvania, which is to say they were kind of part of the insurrection, not the violent part, but, you know, trying to challenge the election results, mm -hmm. overturn the election results. Now, so this – but what's interesting here is that if I'm getting the complete story, Jordan and Banks are only two of those three – there's mm -hmm. a third who she seems to have accepted. Now, I don't, I don't, uh, there was, I think Rodney Davis was mm -hmm. another, was not, not, but not one of the challengers. Right, yep. right. But he was one of the others. And then, uh, another guy whose name I, I, I didn't even completely remember. In, in any case, the point being, she clearly did not make that a category rejection, kind of mm -hmm. like no people who challenged the votes. It was these two. And, it's interesting because Jordan, like, yeah, Jordan has no fucking business on that committee. He's just like, uh, just full of shit, and he's gonna, you know, be there, you know, in the in the hearings, just just you know, kind of grandstanding and 
supporting the insurrectionists. Banks, for he's less high profile. You may not have heard of him before. I mean, everybody kind of who's into politics enough to be listening to this podcast knows who Jim Jordan is. Banks, pretty close to a Jim Jordan type mm-hmm. character. Not quite, but pretty close. Um, so this is interesting. I'm curious. This sets up uh, this sets, sets up a number of interesting questions. Like, you know, McCarthy could say, you know what? Fuck it. You, you know, if you're going to, you know, veto who we want, then none of us are going to participate. And frankly, I think Pelosi will say to that, okay. <laughs> cool. You don't want to be you don't want anybody there? Great. Cuz yeah. frankly that's kind of that's kind of where I am. It it there sh- it would not be right not to have Republican Republicans on this committee. And as we know, uh Pelosi chose Liz Cheney and she is a Republican, but it, you know, by the current definitions of what it means to be a Republican, to love Donald Trump and love the insurrection, you know, she's not not exactly a Republican. Um, so there's kind of a fine line here. You should you should have some representation, but you should have representation of people who are at least going to go through the motions of good faith participation in in the committee's work. And she has clearly said those two guys don't don't cut it. There's and she's right. And again, I'm really I'm really curious because if because if because if McCarthy says fine, we're not going to participate in your process, I would hope she says okay. Okay. Man, I am floored. Absolutely floored by this. I mean, what you're saying is right. You shouldn't have people on the committee who voted to overturn the election at all. But I think we're just so used to Democrats kind of rolling over or, you know, accepting kind of Republican bad faith hardball tactics and saying, you know, we'll take the high road, whatever, that it is, you know, since Biden took office, I am just stunned at every turn when they don't do that. And they have by and large not been doing that even when kind of the Obama era pitfalls open up, they just sidestep them. I'm floored by this. I mean, it's what she should do. It's absolutely what she should do. But like, wow. I'm I'm not, I'm not that surprised. Um, But I'm not not surprised either. Um, Jordan was really the key to me. Like, yeah. if, you, if you let Jordan, I mean, because, you know, there also can be some sort of cynical political calculations. Like, you might say, like, maybe you have Jordan on there as just t- to discredit Republicans, right? I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think that's where I would, you know, draw the line. That is a judgment I would make. Um, but you could, but you could make that argument. Um, and, and again, she clearly, again, if we, as long as we have the complete version of this story, uh, and it's, it's just Jordan and Banks who she's rejected. Yeah, she, she let one, uh, who's, who's the third? Do you have, uh, if, okay, if yeah. you can. The other, there's Rodney Vellers Davis, or, Kelly yeah. Armstrong and Troy Nels. And I think it's the Nels guy who, who, who also voted to reject. 
the, the to challenge those slates. So I guess the point is she did not make that a litmus test. Right. And that is also interesting. Um, but I was, uh, you know, N- Nancy Pelosi, some of it's characterological. Some of it is just that the Speaker of the House, Speaker of the House is like a dictator, right? What the Speaker of the House, if the Speaker of the House controls her caucus, what she says goes. It's not like running the Senate. It is just, you just have a lot more power. But she is also, um, Pelosi doesn't fuck around. She's never fucked around. Um, I remember, you know, uh, way back during the passage of Obamacare, there was this critical moment when, God, the guy's name escapes me, uh, Brown? You know, when when, uh, when the Democrats lost that election in, Miss, in Massachusetts to replace uh, uh, Scott, Bra- Scott Brown? Is that his Got him. <laughs> Spacey. Anyway, uh, the guy who uh, Elizabeth Warren eventually beat. In any case, when he won that election to replace Ted Kennedy, it was like a thunderbolt, right? That took away the Democrat supermajority in the Senate. And the Obamacare bill was still bouncing back and forth between the Senate and the House. And so now you can't get another vote. You can't do it again in the Senate. And that night, uh, um, oh God, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting every name here. Uh, Barney Frank, Barney Frank, very liberal and very aggressive. Not someone who puts up with a lot of bullshit. Put out a statement that night, the night that Scott Brown, Scott Brown, I'm pretty sure it's Scott Brown, the night Scott Brown won that election, he put out a statement saying, maybe we have to reconsider Obamacare. You know, the voters have spoken. I'm not sure we need, we can really do this. And I remember, I mean, you can go back in the editor's blog back to 2011 or 2010 or whenever the fuck that was. I said, dude, what the fuck is your problem? What the fuck? Are you kidding like we are at this stage in the process. I mean, this is a major reverse and maybe maybe we can't do it, but like the spe- the people have spoken. Dude, what the fuck? And uh Nancy Pelosi gets in there and she even has a quote something like, "You know what? I don't I don't give a fuck about Mass- the Senate race in Massachusetts. We are going to pass this thing." And we're going to pass it, and if we can't pass it, we are, you know, if we we're going to we're going to scale that wall. And if we can't scale the wall, we're going to blow up the wall. And if we can't blow up the wall, we're going to get a catapult and we're going to fly over the wall. We are not going to let this die. There's a quote that really is something like that. And they didn't let it die. And what they eventually did was, since the Senate couldn't pass it again, the House just swallowed the Senate version. And passed it. And that was it. And that's how Obamacare got passed. Nancy Pelosi does not fuck around. That is not new for Nancy Pelosi. So I'm 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 fascinated to see, you know, what the fallout is. I think it'll be hard for Kevin McCarthy to say, Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, Nancy. Okay. If that's how if that's how you want to do it, you're in charge. I think that'll be tough. Um, oh my God, it's that's the thing. It's just it's such 
a strong response. She's saying, nope, send me another. Maybe I'll approve them. Maybe I won't. It's just, it's so uh, uh, not like Democrats. I don't know. It's so, so hard no. So like, yeah, I'm making the decisions. You're not. Don't want these two. Send me two more if you want. If not, we're just going to do it my way. It's just. No, it's, 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 it's this, it's this phrase that I, 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 uh, generally avoid using now but i think it is so it 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 captures something that is so resonant in republican politics and just power politics in general which is she bitch slapped him you know if you're going to write in i know it's an offensive phrase but that is the sort of the power economy that is sort of redolent in our politics yeah. And it's it it is how it is so much of how Republican politics operates, kind of like oh yeah, how about I dominate you and you take it, and that is what, what Pelosi is doing here. Mm-hmm. No, I am in charge. You'll do what I tell you to do. And is McCart? You know. I don't know. I, 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 I'm just really curious because that is, especially in Republican politics, y- you, I mean, unless Donald Trump is doing it to you, in which case you say, thank you, sir. <laughs> and you go along with it. But Nancy Pelosi is the liberals liberal and the scary lady from San Francisco and all that, you know, backed by her army of, of, uh, BLM and and gay antifa arnicate yeah arnicist <laughs> anarchist uh i'm just uh, we'll see well and the the cra- i wrote about this but the craziest thing about all this is mccarthy is doing this to himself they could have passed the independent commission forever ago they would have had this would not have happened. They could have picked whoever they damn well please. There would have been an even split. They could have denied any subpoena the commission wanted. They asked for this. They got it. And now, yeah, Pelosi's just kind of slapping them around on the public stage. So, well, and the other thing, so they, yes, they could have had all that. They could have had veto power. They could have equal representation. But even with this, I don't. I, I'm curious if he would have picked someone besides Jordan. I think she might have let Banks go through. I think so too. Putting Jordan on there was just kind of like we are going to crazy this shit up. Mm-hmm. We are going to be there talking about Antifa, talking about you know Russia, 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 all the kind of the bullshit. You know, just just straight up, and that was clearly just a, a bridge too far for her. And, and, uh, again, I, I don't have quite the feel for banks. I mean, for those of you who don't follow this that closely, he's pretty, he's pretty close, but no one's quite Jim Jordan. You know, he might as well have picked Marjorie Green. I was going to say, I think that, that was something when I was kind of talking to people, uh, you know, n- not on the record and stuff, just, there was like a, a great sense that he, he wouldn't pick. MTG. He wouldn't pick Bovard. He's not going to do something like that. But yeah, Jim Jordan is like a, a short half step away from both of those people. So okay. and it, and as it, much as it pains yeah. me, we do yes. have to move on uh, from this bombshell. So uh, let's quickly kind of talk about 
Republicans return to debt ceiling hostage taking. Uh, and uh, we'll briefly kind of hit on uh, Fox News's ground reversal on vaccines, and then we'll get to questions. So you you tell me. I think I think all of our listeners understand about the debt ceiling stuff from 2011, 2013. You know, whenever that was, the whole hostage taking thing. The 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 um you know the votes are different now. How how do they take a hostage now? given where they are. what Walk us through the dynamics. Well, so basically this is kind of just starting up in earnest. McConnell made a comment late last night saying that he can't imagine there are going to be any Republican votes for raising the debt ceiling in this spending environment, which, of course, we know Republicans raised the debt ceiling multiple times under the Trump administration and demanded no spending cuts in return. And it was not an issue, just like austerity is not an issue until the occupant of the White House is a Democrat. So that's where we are now. And he said, you know, they should just pass it through reconciliation, kind of doing a a dual approach of being like, we're not going to be there, so you better do it yourself. And then also hoping that it messes up the reconciliation package, you know, because it tends to be a a hot button issue and there are differences of opinion within the Democratic caucus, et cetera, et cetera. So so basically what what he's doing is saying, this is on you. You're going to have to do this 100% with your votes. We're not, we're not. We're, we're not going to join you. It's all on you. And we're going to run against you on it. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the, they don't, they, they don't have the ability to take the hostage th- themselves. They're basically saying we're going to politicize the fuck out of this. And they're not going to, there's not going to be a single Republican vote. So, you know, w- w- welcome this new friend to your, to your reconciliation party. Right. If Democrats choose to do it through reconciliation. Now, the big glaring problem with that is that we are still months out from having a completed reconciliation product because it's complicated. We just got the top. We just got the top line. We're going to get the budget resolution next and then various kind of sub top lines will be distributed to the various committees and they're in charge of kind of writing the text and making the money equal something tangible, goes back to the budget committee who stitches it all up again. And then we have our reconciliation, which then gets voted on. And that is, you know, it's going to be a massive project. It's going to take work. It's going to take time. And there isn't that much time on the debt ceiling. While, of course, one of the fun parts of this is no one knows exactly how much time we have because it expires in 2019 under Trump. Trump and Democratic congressional leaders agreed to just suspend the debt ceiling for two years, basically a way to punt that football past the 2020 election. So that expires at the end of this month. The Treasury Department can take extraordinary measures to kind of keep the lights on for a while. No one's exactly sure how long they can do that. So it's going to be this whole big messy thing. And if Democrats choose not to do it through reconciliation, either because they don't want to mess up their big, what they're hoping to be their big landmark piece of legislation, um, or because they just, it'll happen too late, they don't have time to do that, then they would have to go through regular order, which means Republican involvement, which means potential Republican hostage taking. And Um, okay, so so the point is, is that, is that if there's two, there's two ways you do this. One mm -hmm. is you raise the limit. The other is you suspend the operation of the law that requires you to do this, and that law should definitely not. I mean, frankly, they should just get rid of the law right now. Um, But both of those, you're saying both of those options require 60 votes. 
Well, not if they do it through reconciliation. Right. But if it's not through reconciliation, if they're Mm -hmm. doing it through regular order, that those are both 60 votes, so Republicans hold the cards. Right. Right. All right. Interesting. And now, as you know, I'm sure listeners know from historical knowledge, but, you know, I wasn't in the industry then. So just as a refresher for anyone else who might not know, in the past, when Republicans do this, which is, you know, let's not make small potatoes out of it. It is flirting with economic calamity. It would, if the United States defaulted on its debt, it would be a massive, terrible deal. And they do this periodically. House Republicans love to doing it under Obama to threaten taking this hostage. We're not going to raise, we're not going to suspend, we're going to let the United States kind of have this economic collapse unless X, Y, Z. And doing it kind of as an attempt to extract some political win. You know, at various times, it was things like repeal parts of Obamacare, stuff like that. And, you know, after or the beginning of the Obama administration, they kind of learned we're not going to negotiate with terrorists, essentially. And in the past, Republicans have always ended up backing down because it, again, will be calamitous. It would not be a small deal, this thing that they're kind of using as a negotiating token. So the hope that people have is that there are enough reasonable Republicans who are who say, you know, we're not going to send the country off the cliff for whatever they try to extract, whether that just be Democrat catastrophe or something more specific. But yeah, it's a scary prospect. And it does go very hand in hand with the kind of occasional Republican concern about austerity and wanton spending that, again, only seems to come up when there's a Democrat in the White House. Well, it's also just 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 to come back to there's a, there's a sort of a, a separate point to this. And that, I mean, this law should not exist. Right. This law should not exist. Um, there's very few countries, if any, have this. And and again, j- just so just so you understand the the mechanics here, this this is sort of like you know, you're allowed to use your credit card, and then you decide whether you want to pay. Right. I mean, this is we've got a whole budgetary process where we we create budgets and we spend money and we sometimes we spend money that we raise through taxes. Other times we 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 spend money that we that we finance with, you know, with 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 bonds. And then we've got this other law to say, remember when we bought the car? Now we've got to vote on whether we pay for it. Right. Well, it's like what? Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, so the whole it, it's it's not like um, it it's just this it's just this kind of booby trap in 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 federal law that again, you know, if 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 your concern is like accountability, that's the budget process again, and the appropriation process. And the taxation process and all this kind of stuff, all this is covered. But you just have this extra thing. Again, you 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 bought the sandwich. Now we're going to have a vote of like, should you pay for the sandwich? Well, dude, you already bought it. Of course you're paying for it. So the law shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Okay. On to Fox News with, uh, I believe it was Sean Hannity who had a an 11th hour pivot to tell people to get vaccinated after dedicating hours both on the show and on his radio show to sowing doubts about said vaccine that he's suddenly now touting. Do I have that right? Yeah, well, it was, it was Hannity, then a few other Fox News people kind of all on the same day. And then Chris Ruddy, 
uh, who, you know, the, the conspiracy theory, a conspiracy theorist from back in the 90s who now owns and publishes Newsmax, like out of the blue came, came out with this editorial saying like, man, love the vaccine. And, and Biden is doing a great job with the vaccine. Go, Joe. Huh. Right, just out of the blue. <laughs> but if you look at it a little closely, what he said is he he this is great for Biden, and Biden has done his best when he holds on to Trump's policies, hmm. basically saying Trump gave him the vaccine, and not doing this kind of like oh don't take you know it's all tr- it's all Trump you know like Biden gets credit too. He was man enough to say this is something that Trump did well. Let's let's finish the job, and and then a bunch of other and then like Steve Scalise shows up like yeah I'm getting vaccinated now. Just like all out of the blue, and so it's 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 not just Fox, um, and you know everybody's kind of trying to figure like what happened, right? What this can't be like? This isn't just a bunch of these people kind of woke up one morning and said like you know what well, maybe maybe we need to give vaccine a second chance. That doesn't. This make is sense. so massively cynical, but is there any chance that this is all arising from? People like, you know, these Fox anchors or whatnot who are vaccinated, who now don't want to get sick from the Delta. Uh, what's it? What I was going to call it a varietal, Del- but that's wine <laughs> variant. Yeah. Um, you know, I've done a few posts sort of like speculating, like what 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 is this? What's what's going on? You know, some people are saying uh, there's got to be a lawsuit. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't make sense. There, there's no no one who no one has standing to sue these guys. Certainly not like, um, you know, random Republican influencers or Steve Scalise or even like Fox News. That's not. This isn't like vo- uh, Smartmatic or Dominion vote. You know, voting machines. No, there's there's no plausible lawsuit here. So that doesn't make any sense. Other other people put a uh, point to. There was a big dip in the stock market. On Monday, I think, and it was generally um, perceived as the market saying, "We're not. This is clearly not done yet. Are we going to have more lockdown? You know, kind of blah blah blah. But you know, reaction to 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 Delta and people saying, "Well, you know, the rich donors kind of put out word like you're screwing this up for us." But again, that doesn't. That's that's not how it works. I mean, a the kind of people who are big donors who are that committed, they're not going to be they're not going to be ruffled by a, a one day stock drop. And in any case, as much as you might want to believe it, there aren't ten plutocrats who determine what the Republican Party does. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. Um, the best the the only thing I can come up with is I think they're seeing some poll information. That that tells them that their supporters or people they need to be their supporters are freaking out about this, and that they have branded themselves the anti-vaccine party, and they're suddenly feeling like that's not a good place to be right now. They feel vulnerable. They feel exposed, and so you've got a lot. Like one of the one of the uh, one of the Fox News. Uh, quotes snippets from this guy Bill Hemmer during the daytime that our that our colleague Nicole uh, found was him saying you know you got a doctor on and and Hemmer saying well we we've always been very encouraging everybody to get vaccinated right right remember <laughs> remember when we encouraged everybody to get vaccinated so um, I don't know I mean that doesn't 
as I said in in a, in a blog post, that kind of sounds like the sort of the after school special liberal dream version of how this stuff works. Like, oh, the the Trumpers, they're getting COVID now, and 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 they're angry at their at their terrible, duplicitous, cynical political leaders who led them down this garden path, and they've had enough. Well, that doesn't really that doesn't really sound right, but some sense of political exposure hmm. seems to me to be the only really plausible explanation for this, even though I think I said in that post today, it's not a good explanation, but it's the least bad explanation I can come up with. So You know, it is weird just kind of being on the Hill this week, more masks than I've seen since I went there during the actual pandemic, you know, and the report just came out, someone on Pelosi staff tested positive, a White House staffer, you know, vaccinated people, but mm-hmm. who are testing positive because of the Delta variant. So it is, and, it is weird. W- one thing just for everybody to keep in mind is we, we don't know in a lot of these cases where these people, you know, tested in the process of some kind of contact tracing and they don't have any symptoms or they have like, you know, kind of trivial symptoms. I mean, it does, and, and this is kind of globally in both senses of the word, what we're trying to figure out now is it seems like overwhelmingly the people who are getting COVID are unvaccinated. There are non-trivial numbers of fully vaccinated people who are getting, maybe it's not even right to say infected, who are testing positive, but most of them are asymptomatic or just mild. But how mild, right? Because that 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 that's certainly gonna. If I'm going up to the hill, like as you do many days, uh, Kate, that's gonna. Depending on how mild, right, those cases are. Am I gonna wear a mask? Like, yeah, I don't want to get COVID. I certainly don't want to get COVID, where I'm gonna be, even like I had a flu for a week, or that I'm getting get long COVID. So everybody's kind of you know. Everybody is trying to trying to figure this out. Yeah. So All questions. Right. Yeah. Barrel so through some questions here. A question from Chris here. Um, I really appreciate your insights on the fast moving American jobs plan slash Biff. I would love to hear about your process other than just burning through all the shoe leather. How does Kate get the scoops and inside info? Um, so I like this question because I think a lot of, you know, Hill reporting is is pretty obtuse to people who don't do it. I mean, it's kind of this the same thing as um, how AOC does her Instagram lives to show you what is the day-to-day of a congresswoman. You know, it's that kind of not that many people have these jobs and the people who do, it's kind of an insular community. So um, basically how I do Hill reporting is – Definitely the shoe leather thing is a lot. So I kind of schedule my day around when the senators or representatives are taking votes and there are specific spots in the Capitol where they have to come through to get to the floor to vote where they basically can't avoid you. So there's huddles of reporters at all these 
distinct points, you know, uh, from where they travel from kind of the more office buildings to the floor where they have to vote outside elevator banks. Like these are the areas where you hang out. And then while you're there, you have tops 30 seconds to get out your question and to get out an answer. And the kind of old adage goes that people who want to talk don't know anything. The people who do know things don't want to talk to you. So some of to varying levels, different lawmakers are flocked with staff who to varying levels will be kind of their bulldogs who will say, you can't ask any more questions. We're busy. We're off to a meeting. We're off to a vote. Here's my card. Ask me the question kind of thing. So you have to battle through that. There's a physical element, which is that when you're trying to chase someone down with a crowd of 20 people and there are stairs and there are walls, you have to be kind of agile because you're also trying to get your phone close enough to their mouth that you can get the recording. So that's a piece of it. But those are all just kind of the mechanics of the shoe leather piece of it. And then you also have, you know, politicians obviously are going to tell you things that they think reflect well on them and their party. So you can't really just take what people tell you at face value. You have to have context. And that's when you go to, you know, staffs, especially people on the staff who are the specialists in whatever you're reporting on. Because, for instance, especially people as important as like chair people of committees, they have a whole staff who kind of deals with what their committee deals with aside from their own personal, you know, PR comms team. So you talk to those kind of people, you talk to lobbyists and experts who you know are working on these things off the hill, but who are kind of on the inside of negotiations and everything like that. And then kind of after all those conversations and all those talking, all that talking, you have a more kind of balanced fabric of what's going on. And that hopefully you've talked to enough people that you're able to siphon out what's spin, what people think looks politically good, and what is kind of the core root of the issue. So and that's my 30-second elevator pitch. Now, let me just quit. We don't have a lot of time, but I want to follow up one thing. Now, in, in a lot of cases, when people are you know scrumming around a member of Congress trying to mm-hmm. a- ask questions, sometimes everybody's got the same question. Right. Yep. And, and kind of a, almost literally everybody's asking the same thing. Now, as a reporter, though, um, especially since we're a smaller publication, that's never a great angle for us. Right. I mean, to the extent everybody's asking, you know, hang back and let someone else ask that one. I would assume in most cases, you, you, you know, you've got your own story, you're trying to come up with your own angle, you're trying to get, ask a different question. So how do you how do you how do you balance that? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, it's really hard, especially with kind of the, I don't know, the superstars of the party, like good luck getting within a foot of Joe Manchin. I mean, he's surrounded by like 50 people at all times. Um, but I mean, on that point, a lot of it comes down to aggression. A lot of it comes down to, uh, physically angling yourself in a place where you get your question out first, kind of before everyone else asks their questions. But to some degree, I mean, this happened yesterday. I was trying to do a story on what happens if the bipartisan bill collapses. Majority of the reporters on the Hill wanted to know what was if the bipartisan bill was going to collapse or not. And though those two things are definitely related, I mean, those are distinct questions. So yesterday that resulted in me, you know, maybe on slower days, I can stake out one vote and get everything I need. I pretty much had to stock lawmakers all day to try to, you know, get them 
after maybe other people had already gotten a first bite and then I could get them and ask them my question um, to get them in different spots that are less crowded. You know, a lot of it is just kind of logistical like that because most lawmakers do not want to sit around and answer questions. And I, I say most, there are some who love it. Like Ron Wyden, for example, he'll sit, chat, huge crowd around him. He loves it, but most of them don't. And so it has to be strategic. You kind of have to be very assertive. And a lot of times their staff will say, you know, no more questions, they're done. And then you just, you kind of got to do the whole Watergate, stick your foot in the door thing and be like, well, no, I'm going to jog along with you and I'm going to ask my question and force you. If you are really not going to answer me, then you have to say no comment. And you have to let me write this story and say that you refuse to comment on X, Y, Z. And, you know, I think I especially feel kind of comfortable being that aggressive when the thing I'm reporting on is very straightforward or very policy based. You know, if someone won't give me an answer on a policy they've that is in all their speeches that they're championing and you won't kind of give me questions about the specific mechanics of how that works, that's your job at that point. You know, that is why you were elected. And I get that being harassed by reporters must suck. That's why I'm never going to run for office, but it's part of the job. Right. So um, I think that, and also kind of the sense that the, the most noble part of being a reporter is the idea that I get to talk to our lawmakers in person. Almost no American gets to do that. So that it makes me feel like I have responsibility on my shoulders to find out this information for other people, even when the lawmakers are being grumpy or pissy or don't want to talk. So I don't know. That's always a kind of a good undergirding for me as someone who naturally honestly doesn't really like conflict, but you got to be kind of comfortable with it when you're coming from that angle. Yeah. I mean, I, I never really did that kind of, I mean, I've done a little of it, but I've never been a beat reporter on, on the Hill, but it, it is definitely one of those things. Uh, I am, it's, it's probably paradoxical for, for people who are familiar with my sort of public presence, but I'm not a big conflict person myself either on an on an interpersonal level i can be that way if i feel like i'm being mistreated or something but this obviously isn't that you know you know no one's no no one's attacking you or or mistreating Mm -hmm. you it's just you've got to kind of be annoying right and that is for a lot of us that is that's getting out of our comfort zone i mean it's funny i I will tell you Almost all the great investigator, investigative reporters I have known in my life, and I have been privileged to know most of the really, really big ones, right, at some level, they're all weird. They're weird, and they're annoying, and they have bad they're, – they're not nice. They're not nice. They, you know, I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm saying that they are, if you know them at all, you know this is someone who's more than happy to call you at home at night at 1130 to create a really uncomfortable situation where, where it's going to be weird. Most of us, that's the last thing we want to do. Certain people couldn't care less. Yeah. They've got some... You know, some some uh, some part of the brain is missing. The 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 awkward the the ah that's awkward part of the brain, um, and they're good at it. So anyway, and so we got to re- yeah. I was gonna add that's totally true. And then I think reporting when you're reporting on the same people over and over again, which is you know a little different than your typical investigative reporting. 
you also have to be wary that you can't burn bridges, you know, because if you report something that a lawmaker thinks is like totally unfair or taken out of context or really spun, you know, slam goes the door and there goes your access to that person, which kind of creates the conundrum of access journalism that I think Washington is so plagued by because to some degree you do have to maintain civility with the subjects that you're covering. And a lot of times, I mean, you can see even by kind of reading the morning tip sheets, you'll read about these book launches or these events where lawmakers and kind of the big wig reporters are rubbing elbows and that is ethically questionable. And that is a condition created by the fact that you have to keep going back to these people and knowing that if you're hard on them, there's nothing to stop them from stopping talking to you, you know, and every speech they give, they're either, well, for Democrats, they're going to, you know, praise a free press and everything, but that won't necessarily show up in their personal behavior. So it's a tight rope walk for sure. Yeah. And it's also true that kind of, you can, you can, you can be for a free press and not want to talk to a certain reporter. Right. That's not a, that's not a contradiction. It's not great, but that's, you know, the free press is, Free speech is not speaking, right? So it's it, that is a complicated thing, and and uh, you know, as 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 someone who has has observed your trajectory at TPM over, I mean, what what is it like four years now? Yeah, even, even, three, maybe between three and four. I mean, even the pandemic is almost is going on two now. Anyway, yeah. I, I'm always incredibly impressed and proud, and and all that kind of stuff. So oh, that's all awesome. You. Thank All right, you. so we're not we're not gonna. Speaking of awkward, this is getting awkward here. Okay, <laughs> uh, Josh is getting all getting all uh, sentimental about about <laughs> people who work at TPM. Uh, we are going to finish up. Let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get twenty five percent off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Uh, and uh, you know, Kate's going to be uh, up on the hill and uh, bring us all sorts of news anything else yeah is that it and we, is that all we, got? we got a really good batch of questions this week you guys really responded to hearing that we were starting to run out so keep those coming keep your theme song submissions coming talk at talkingpointsmemo.com both of those things we appreciate greatly cool all right Later. see you next week all right back up to the hill back up <laughs> all right bye bye